Yeah, and turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 2 this morning. I'll read our text, uh, verses 11 through 17. Um, but what we're going to do is we're going to kind of just deal with a portion of that text today. We'll focus primarily on verses 11 and verse 12. It is a delight um, to have you here this morning. We greet you, welcome you in the matchless name of Jesus. Seth and Emily, what a joy it is um, to have you both home. Uh, Seth Seth took, um, took the cue and followed in his father's footsteps, of which I am so proud of him. He married so out of his league. He married up so far, very evident, and we rejoice in the gift that Emily is to our family. First and foremost, we need to just pray, uh, go before the throne of grace and ask that God would anoint and use this, this time, um, these words, according to his glory. Let's pray. Father, we do come into your presence as our heavenly Father, knowing, Lord, that we are unworthy but we rejoice that you chose us. You saw us and you came to us in the person Jesus. We thank you Lord for the sacrifice that Jesus Christ made on the cross on our behalf. That we today, today can be in relationship with you because of what Jesus accomplished on the cross and in the tomb. And we want to say thanks. Thank you. Father, I plead for help right now as your word is open. We thank you for how powerful your word is, how perfect and precious. And we ask God that you would give whatever is necessary. Please guard my mind and my mouth so that all of us would be able to hear just, just a nugget of truth. And Lord, through that truth that the Holy Spirit would nourish and strengthen our souls throughout the course of the rest of this day and week. Father, we just long to be real. We ask, Lord, that you would give us the ability, the means, and the strength to do that, to follow the example that has been given through the life and ministry of Jesus. Bless these people. Please, Lord, bless. Continue to bless this amazing church. We love you, and we thank you for loving us. We ask this in the strong and powerful name of our Savior, the Messiah, Jesus. Amen and amen. Okay, um, any, any given Sunday, any given week, you're going to hear certain words that are used frequently within like the, the, the church context. You'll hear words like the gospel and you'll hear words like evangelism and discipleship. And you'll hear words about the importance that we're to live holy lives and we're to extend forgiveness to one another and we extend grace to one another and mercy and, and love. And, and then sometimes uh, we roll out kind of the bigger words, the words with some, some meat to the bone, sanctification and justification, sanctification being set apart, justification, what being declared righteous before a holy God through the work of Jesus, glorification, what awaits us one day. What's interesting is that there's a lot of these words that are used on a regular basis, 
And they almost exist with what I would call a subculture within the context of the local church. And they don't always permeate the culture that we are called to live in. And, and, and it's a problem. People don't fully understand. It's almost like there's a, another language, a Christianese, so to speak, that there's lingo and jargon that we use here that people don't fully understand it. What's interesting is that we, we, the body of Christ, are the ones who are to help those in the world around us understand the message of the gospel and understand the mission that God has called us on. The problem is this. Oftentimes, people's understanding of, of Christ, understanding of God and his purpose for the local church, shown through us, is that we oftentimes don't give them a very accurate or authentic view. We live in kind of an airbrushed world. Wouldn't you agree? Everything is kind of touched up and positioned to look right. We live in a hide-behind-your-computer-screen world. And so, so words like authenticity, being authentic, being real, being sincere, they, they almost seem to lack, not just in our society, in our culture today, but sadly, even in our churches today. People, even in church aren't always being truthful, aren't always being honest, aren't always being real. Matter of fact, what are one of the, the greatest criticisms that have ever been labeled against the church? It's why they're all just a bunch of hypocrites anyway. We exist. I was sitting around a fire last night with five younger men, and they, 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 they basically had one thought in mind. We just want the church to be real. That's really what we're talking about this morning. Um, th this idea of, of what it means to not just talk the talk, not just use words, but what, what I want us to focus on the next couple of weeks is, is, is the importance of how we have to and why we need to walk the talk. There's actually a dictionary that exists in our world, so I can't believe I'm quoting the Urban Dictionary. I don't necessarily endorse it all, but there's this phrase and definition from the Urban Dictionary, walk the talk, and it's defined like this, to back up or prove what is said with action, to represent words with action, or I like this, to practice what's preached. That's what we want to do. We want to talk about being real. Like, what is that? Probably a horrible illustration. What comes to mind about being real? A couple weeks ago, Wendy and I were at a ball game. I had the opportunity to speak to the cross cutters, and they gave us free tickets. Great seats right behind home plate. I only made it to like the third inning, and I was like, honey, do you want some ice cream? Like, like they have ice cream here. You want to go get ice cream? And I went up, and I got my mint chocolate chip, and they asked me this question. Do you want some whipped cream on that? I'm like, Yeah. Of course you want whipped cream on it. Can you put a little bit of the chocolate fudge sauce on that too? And, and, and I brought the, the mint chocolate chip and the hot fudge and the whipped cream back, and it wasn't but a minute or two we realized, wait, whoa, 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 this isn't whipped cream. They called it whipped cream, and it was actually whipped topping. Big difference between whipped cream made with real cream and, and, and whipped topping that is made with direct quote, a byproduct, an oil byproduct. What is that? That's it. There's this like sensation you get on the roof of your mouth and like, wait a minute, this is not the real thing. It looks like it. It's white. It's fluffy, but it's missing an ingredient. It's missing real cream. 
It, it calls itself something, but it's not what? It's not really walking the talk. Thankfully, thankfully, God's word actually addresses not necessarily the subject of whipped cream versus whipped topping, but, but the word of God addresses the subject of how we as a local church can be real and why we need to be real. Peter is all over this. Holy Spirit speaks to Peter and he gives to him these words. Listen very carefully. First Peter chapter two, we pick it up in verse 11. The word of God. Beloved, beloved, I urge you, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Now, what's interesting here, we know, okay, just a little background very, very quickly. Peter is the one who's writing. Chapter 1, verse 1, we see that undoubtedly he refers to him as an eyewitness of the sufferings of Jesus, most likely written probably from Rome during the, the reign of Nero, but just prior to some of the intense persecution. So it's, it's getting bad, but it's not like really bad yet. A.D. 62, 63 is what they estimate First Peter is written. It's written to encourage believers, encourage Christians, primarily Gentiles. And there's a threefold kind of message to these Gentiles that have been dispersed as a result of some increased difficult times to persevere in their faith. We need that reminder. To, to rest in their salvation, and thirdly, to enjoy the promises that God has given to us through the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Great reminder for us all. What's evident in this particular text, in these verses, the emphasis that Peter is making, it's not necessarily on our verbiage or our word choice. It's not, it's not really talking it's not about talking the emphasis that we read here in this text is more about doing his concern is not necessarily what we say it's how we act and we see this through several different phrases i urge you abstain keep your conduct honorable we read in verse 11 in verse 12 that they may see your good deeds and glorify God. If we will continue to read next week by doing good, you put the silence, the ignorance of foolish people. Verse 16, live as people who are free. All of this is talking about the way that we act, not necessarily what we say. Now, don't for a moment back up and say, well, there's, 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 there's never a responsibility for me to say anything. That's not true, Okay. Both earlier and later, we see very clearly in verse 9, it says that we are to proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into light. That means you got to say something. Later on in chapter 3, verse 15, what? We're to be prepared always to give an, an answer or a ready defense to anyone who asks a reason for the hope that exists in you. So we know that we have to speak. There's no doubt about that. But in between those, there's this, it's how you live. It's the way that you kind of make and maneuver your way through life. It's the, it's the words that you use. It's the way that you interact. We had a visiting missionary a couple weeks ago, and they talked about the fact that one of the things that the people who came to Christ saw with the, with the missionaries was how he treated his wife. 
that, that the gospel, the, the door of the gospel opened because they witnessed a man who was gentle and patient and kind and loving to his wife. That's what gave them an opportunity for the gospel. So we, we talk about the fact as a church that we hear something called Vision 2020. We build relationships Build relationships so that God is glorified and lives are transformed through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Be assured that you cannot build relationships unless trust is established. People must believe you. And trust is only going to be established when trustworthiness exists. Why should I listen to you? Trustworthiness comes when there's credibility, when there's sincerity and reliability and integrity. It brings us back to what? The real whipped cream, not this, not this made up stuff. How do we, how do we, how do we walk the talk? Why do we walk the talk? Peter gives us two very compelling points here. The first one I want to tell you is this, is because the matter is urgent. Number one, the reason we need to do this is because the matter that is at hand is absolutely urgent. I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which were against the soul. The, the, intentional, the, the intentional purpose, the word choice that Peter chooses to use to show us how important is that he uses that terminology of war. You are at war. You are in war. Now, perhaps there are a few amongst us today who have lived and have witnessed firsthand the atrocities that exist within combat. Others of us who have not seen that perhaps have have read about that or studied that, but we would all agree it was what? It is a horror in every sense. The word war is simply defined as armed conflict between two nations, states, or factioned, a determined struggle, especially for a specific goal, a state of antagonism or discord to struggle, to contend with. Pause in that word war. We think of violence. We think of bloodshed and horror and destruction. What we need to understand is this. When it comes to living authentic faith, Sincere faith as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, we have to understand, and Peter's communicating, there's a very real war. It's a war that exists between the flesh and the soul. Back up a little bit, and Peter uses this term. He says, I urge you. Old King James says, I beseech you. I like that term. The Aramaic English actually translated, I beg you. Something I think that we can all very easily identify with Peter is the fact he displays emotion that we connect with and we relate with. And and Peter writes in such a way that we know that all of his attention, all of his effort and energy is leaning in. He's saying, I beg you, you need to understand this. You are in a war. Well, who? He, He says what specifically? You sojourners, those that are in exile. We could use the word pilgrims or travelers. This is a common phrase that is used to describe Christians as a reminder that what? Look around you. Every single thing that you see in this world will dissipate. Everything will disappear. Two things. Two things last. What? The word of God lives and endures forever in the souls of mankind. Which means what? 
Peter is telling us through the ministry of the Holy Spirit, don't get comfortable here. Don't get caught up here. This is not your home. You are moving through. You are a tenter that is here temporarily. That's why John says what? Love not the world, neither things that are in the world. And there's so much. We get caught up with so much of the stuff in this world. It really doesn't matter. Why? Peter says, I urge you, I beg you, you have to understand, you're not going to be here for long. You're moving through. You're in the midst of a battle. What are we supposed to do? He says, abstain. It means to refrain from something voluntarily. It means to stay away from something or stop doing something willingly. The Greek word actually means to hold oneself away. In a sense, it's describing what? There is a line that has been established through the the holiness of the word of God. And he's saying very clearly, don't cross the line. Stop crossing the line. A couple weeks ago, I received in the mail a ticket for $135. And on that ticket was a picture of me sitting in a car. We'd actually been on vacation down in Florida visiting family. This was way back in March. I get a ticket in like June or July. And, and there's actually a picture. There's a camera took a picture of me. And what had happened is that, as you know, at the stop sign or at the red light, there's a, a white line there. And my tires were over, not even entirely over the white line, just like mostly over the white line. And they took a picture of that, and there's me smiling on vacation. Because why? Because there's a line, and I crossed it. I'll pay the penalty. I paid the penalty. Actually, Wendy paid the penalty. Thank you, honey. But, but there's this idea that says, just stop. Just abstain. Stay away from. Weymouth actually translates, restrain the cravings of your lower nature. It just sounds like unpleasant. It's tough. Fleshly lust exists all over the place in a, in, in, in a society that we live in what, that champions this. Everywhere you look, everywhere you go, there seems to be another pop-up ad, a billboard that tries to draw you off. It's very easy. It's not just talking about the passions of fleshly lust. When we talk about sexual immorality, the Apostle Paul in Galatians chapter 5 gives a very long list of areas that we need to be on guard for. We have to stop. We abstain from. Now, the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalry, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness. All of these things, I warn you as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Like, wait a minute, okay, so stop, just stop it. Like, that's the instruction, stop it, stop this craving, but the craving exists with inside of us, in our soul. What does that bring? There's the collision. There's the clash. There's the conflict. There's the struggle. There's the war. Because we are fallen creatures that live in a fallen world, you go all the way back to the very beginning, Genesis chapter 3, the fall of mankind. What's interesting is that Genesis chapter 3 concludes, Genesis chapter 4 opens up. How does Genesis chapter 4 open up again? Wait a minute, the very first thing, the very first recorded act 
Cain and Abel, Genesis chapter four. And they bring offerings to God and Cain, what? He crosses the line. He wants to do things his way. And God makes this very telling statement. Listen to this very carefully from from Genesis chapter four. Literally, God is speaking to Cain and he says, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. That's an image that Peter actually uses, what, in, in, in 1 Peter chapter 5, where Satan is like a roaring lion, lion, seeking whom he may devour. God is very clear, he's very specific to Cain, what, sin is crouching at the, its desire is for you, to destroy you. You must rule over it. That's Genesis chapter 4, verse 7. Do you realize what the very next verse says in Genesis chapter 4, verse 8? It says this, and I quote, Cain rose up against his brother and killed him. Uh, apparently, he let sin get the best of him. Apparently, the line that God had established, it, it really didn't mean much to him. And we see the absolute, we see the absolute destruction that comes in the inevitable war. So, so, so Peter is saying what? In order to live authentic lives, like we are examples of what Christ's life should look like to everyone in this world, then we have to understand first and foremost, the matter is urgent. We are engaged in battle. How do we, like, how do we fight this? Subject of spiritual warfare comes up. Ephesians chapter six, Paul is very, very clear when he says what? Be strong in the Lord in the power of his might, which means you and I do not have the ability to do it. Be strong, Lord, power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand what the schemes, the wiles of the, of, of the devil, of the enemy. Well, that's Ephesians chapter six. Like, how do we, like, how do I even do that? How do I stand? I feel like a, just a wet noodle at times. Like, how do I stand? Back it up previous to Ephesians chapter five. And it says, walk in the spirit and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Which means what? There's this battle that seems to be, what? Raging inside of us. Where the spirit will very clearly instruct us. Boger, what are you thinking? Don't do that. What are you doing? Don't, 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 don't say that. That, that. that we are to submit and surrender to the work of the Holy Spirit Thus, we have the ability to what? He gives us the strength to not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Number one, the matter is urgent. Number two, very clearly, the mission is clear. Keep your conduct honorable. Verse 12, so that that they may see your good works and glorify God. All your conduct, all of your behavior, the King James Version translated, keep your conversation honest. I think this is so important because it talks about the fact, not just like at church, we shine up well on a Sunday morning, okay? But it's not just talking about public, it's talking about in private. It's talking about the importance and priority of what being honest before God first and foremost you, you realize this, like you're fooling no one to think that you can kind of like meddle or toy in this dangerous dark area and God's not going to see it. 
God knows everything. God sees everything. The writer of Hebrews says it like this, nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Nothing. Like you don't want anyone to see that. It's all open. Ephesians chapter four, everything is uncovered. Everything is laid bare before the eyes of him whom we must give account. When we begin to live every day with a sense of reckoning that my actions, I'm going to stand before the holy one and only creator, sustainer, savior of the entire universe. And I'm going to give account for my words and actions. I tell you what, I want to think twice about what I say and what I do. J.D. Greer says it like this. He says, expose your sin and Jesus will cover it. Cover your sin and Jesus will expose it. There is such great truth to that rich statement. Every day, every day you live, 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. Every day, 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. A, we confess it first and foremost to the Lord. And then also what? We need to confess it to the one that we've sinned against. Because you, you realize this, that your life is a living example, that you are impacting other people every single day. I know this frightens people and it makes me nervous, but guess what? You're being watched. You're being watched. You're being watched. Not, not just by a holy God who sees everything, but you're being watched with whether or not you're, like, you're, you're the real deal or not by everyone else. There was a, a, a large family in the first service. They sat in the front part of the second section. And I noticed it was, it was like large. It was like six, eight, ten of them. And, and I went back to greet them and, hey, how are you? Good to have you here. Have you been here before? They're like, no, no. And, and, and I said, well, it's great to have you here. You know, come again. And like, well, don't you want to ask us how we got here? I'm like, yeah, I want to ask you. How did you get here anyway? That's the question I wanted to ask you. I just apparently forgot to ask you. How did you get here? And, and they said this. They said, well, yesterday, you uh, and your whole family uh, we're at Heiner View, weren't you? You went up there and we have some family in to visit Seth and Emily for the weekend. And so we got a bunch of the cousins together that can spend time. My brother came in town and there was a big group of us, probably 20, 25 of us, get up and it was beautiful. Um, the clouds, are just amazing. And what do you do? You haven't seen the family for a while? We, we get together and hey, let's get a picture taken. So we get all the family together. And so we just said, hey, excuse me, you right there, could you, could you take a picture of us, please? And this, this young woman said, sure. And so it's, okay, this smile, and, and then the next phone, and then the next camera she took. And, and then she, she went back to her, her family, and she said, they must be Christians. And they're camping in town. They're from Lancaster for the weekend. And they went online. How they found, I have no idea. And they found us as a church. And they said, we're going to come watch you and listen to you preach terrifying thoughts. And I don't do this in any way to draw any attention. I mean, I mean, our family's like 
animals at times. And yet apparently everyone but, everyone but Denson was on their best behavior. But, but what a reminder. We have no idea that, that your conversations are being heard and seen by other people. That we must live real, authentic lives as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're, we're going we're gonna to blow it at times. We're going to fail. We're going to stumble. We know that, that ministry is messy. But as, as Chandler says, God is at work in the mess. And so we live in that and we rejoice in that. Followers of Jesus, dear brothers and sisters in Christ, we, we are to live holy lives. And yet we will do this with an understanding that there are other people that will actually criticize you for living a holy life. There are unbelievers who will mock and make fun of you. Uh, think of Jesus. He lived a perfectly holy. Jesus lived an absolutely sinless life and they, they cut on him. You can be assured of that. They criticized him. They killed him. Inevitably, as I was reading, reading and working through this text this week, I, I kind of backed up and asked the question, okay, so hold on here, hold on here. And this is a great question for all of us to ask. We are, we are engaged in a hard and heated war that is literally being waged against our soul. Yes, yes, and, and it's not pleasant. So, so wait a minute, back up. We are to fight this war knowing that, that other people are still going to mock us and make fun of us and criticize us and perhaps even what? Kill us. It's not easy. Then we kind of ask this like, um, yeah, why bother with this plan? Like, why, why, go, why, why do this? Why, why live like this? Why go through this effort? Like, this is really hard. Peter writes earlier, Peter writes earlier in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope, to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. That, that in a sense, Peter is saying that God actually has performed a work in you with purpose for, for a reason. Peter continues on in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, yeah, rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through the Lord Jesus Christ. What is Peter talking about here? He's talking about the fact that you and I get to be part of what God is doing. That you and I are stones that are being built into this, what? This beautiful depiction of God's glory. Every one of us are imperfect. And yet together there is something that is incredible that God is doing amongst us. He's building us. 
when you acknowledge what? When we acknowledge that the Lord Jesus Christ is the only means of victory. We acknowledge that it's not our work, it's his work. When we acknowledge the fact that, that, that we're not pursuing holiness for salvation, but we're pursuing holiness as a result of salvation. When we realize that what? We're not, we're not living to appear righteous. We're living and pursuing holiness because he is righteous. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, do you understand that when we get this, like we grasp this, people, other people, will come to glorify God and trust Christ by the way you and I choose to live our lives. Let, let me say that again. Do you realize that? That other people will come to glorify God and put their faith and trust in the work of Christ because of the way that you live your life. War is hell, and there is no one who would debate that. But it is well worth it when we can show other people the way of heaven through the work of Jesus. There is this day, this day of visitation associated with this idea of redemption. This day most likely is the day when those who once blasphemed and spoke evil against the Lord will come to trust him and follow him. Why? Because you, because you walk the talk, because you were real, because you were sincere. When you blew it, you admit it, you blow it. And you ask for forgiveness. And we live honest, transparent lives, journeying together as opposed to pretending to have it all together when we really don't. Holy living is not for our salvation. It's a result of our salvation. Holy living is not for you and I to appear righteous because it can't be. Everything is focused upon the only one who is truly righteous. And we strive and we live and we breathe every single day with Christ in mind, our righteous one. Father, we love you and we thank you for your word that reminds us of how we are to live. And God, we admit and confess that we need your help. I need your help to live pure, holy, open, sincere, authentic, transparent lives that we would, we would together be a body, be a building that is built up to introduce others to the grace and the mercy that you have shown us. God, we need your strength to do that and do that well, and we're asking for it now. Bless us. Bless us greatly for your glory. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.